Good morning, everyone. We're still in John chapter 6 today, and we're going to read from verse 52 to the end. We're reading from the NIV version. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him? He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. I wondered what title I could give to this section because it covers so many different things. It covers belief in Christ. It covers Christ living in the believer. It asks the great question which all of us must answer, to whom shall we go? And it also deals with the sovereignty of God. So to encapsulate it all, belief and sovereignty. This is a long discourse by Jesus. So let me first summarize some great messages from the preceding verses. He gave a declaration in verse 29. Believe in the one that God has sent. Why did he say that? Because in verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. 
And what is the consequence of that? In verse 40, everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, how is all that possible? Verse 51, Jesus explains, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That is the message of the cross, where Jesus gives his life for you. He gives it for you. No one takes it from him. And the cross is a God-ordained and God-timed event where Jesus becomes the sacrifice for sin, bearing the judgment of God against sin so that God can pardon repentant sinners in this world who trust in his Son. Just pause and consider the magnitude of what has happened. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God died on the cross to save us. And now the Spirit of God gives life. Verse 63. Brings new birth and eternal life to all who believe. The wonderful, silent work of the Holy Spirit in the life of everyone who comes to believe in Jesus. Why did Jesus declare to the people, I am the bread of life? Augustine rightly wrote about God, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. The population of the world through the ages searches for meaning and hope because when mankind rejected God it left a void in the soul and into this lost world Jesus came from heaven to fill the soul void bearing the title I am the bread of life for he would satisfy the longing hunger of the soul and offer eternal life where only death and hell lay ahead for us. To have this eternal life, we must believe who he is and what he has done and accept him into our lives. And in so doing, we not only appropriate him, feed on him, but we also find we are united to him. Imagine that I have a plate here with a chocolate on it. I can describe that chocolate all day. I can let someone else have it. But unless I eat it myself, it will do me no good. Eating is personal. Someone else cannot do it for me. So with Christ, I can talk about him and hold him at a distance. But unless I receive him myself and he lives within me, it's no good. So when he said, I am the bread of life, he's using a physical illustration of a spiritual reality. We not only appropriate him, we feed on him because we are united to him. So verses 52 to 59 reviews what Jesus had said previously but the crowds are finding it difficult to accept. Jesus talking of eating his flesh and drinking his blood means that we appropriate his death on the cross 
and the shedding of his blood for the remission of our sins as the only hope of eternal life. The tense used here, eat and drink, confirms that the first time you came to Christ in true repentance for salvation, you were saved and saved forever. No one shall ever pluck you out of his hand. That is the assurance of salvation in Christ. And in verse 54, there is more. There is the promise of resurrection being yours. The promise of eternal life is yours. Resurrection to eternal life is the certain hope of every believer in Christ. You know, at least four times, Jesus speaks triumphantly of resurrection in this discourse. I think that's amazing. If Jesus spoke so often about it, why shouldn't we? Rejoice, believer. The day will come when if you die, he will resurrect you and take you to heaven. That is what faith in Jesus leads to, eternal life. You know, down in Windsor Park at uh, the Frogmore estate, there is a mausoleum there in which rest the remains of Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert. She outlived him by 40 years. And during those 40 years, she built this mausoleum where the remains of both of them would eventually be laid to rest. The entrance to this mausoleum has a huge doorway. And across the doorway is written a most amazing inscription which she commanded should be put there. And it said this, Here at last I will rest with thee, that is, with her husband Albert, and with thee in Christ I shall rise again. Isn't that wonderful? Royalty reach out to Christ as their saviour. And Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, they knew the preciousness of it. With thee in Christ I shall rise again. I will raise them up at the last day. But through the ages, souls have come to Christ from all walks of life. And there was a wonderful expression that Spurgeon once used when he spoke of those from Rome who met in the catacombs and the caves, saying some came from Caesar's household, some were bondmen, some were free, and lit by a dim candle to listen while some unshod but heaven-taught man declared the gospel of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of them were probably illiterate because there is hardly an inscription in the catacombs that is spelt correctly. Yet they looked for a Savior who had the power of resurrection. This is our Savior. He reaches across the strata of mankind to you and to me. But verse 56 takes us back to the present. For even now, Christ will live in you and you in him. That is eternal life in your soul now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we appropriate, we feed on Christ, our union with him as close as he is with his Father. And in verse 57, you trace this life supply 
to the Father himself. Jesus says, in the Father, in the Son, in you and me. That is the eternal continuity of unity in the believer. Believe in him, be in union with him, nourish your soul, feed on Jesus, and display him, and display the fruit of eternal life. Have you ever wondered why a salmon has red flesh? Swims in the same ocean as a cod, but a cod's white. You know, when the salmon migrates from, say, the rivers of Scotland, and it crosses and goes down the Atlantic, and then it finds its way all the way back again to the very same river, as it's made that massive journey, it had to feed. And it fed on tiny plankton called copepods. And in every one of these tiny copepods, there is a tinier oil sack which is pigmented red. And as the salmon ate the copepods through those thousands of miles and all the way back, that pigment from the copepods went into its flesh and it became red. The salmon became like what it had eaten. You know, today, if they just tried to rear salmon, and fish cage, and they didn't add this pigment to the diet, your salmon would be white. You see, it depends on what you eat. So if you feed on Christ, you can become like him. You can reflect him in your whole personality, your whole way of living. But the person who does not feed on Christ has no spiritual life and is still spiritually dead. So leave the trash that you're feeding on and come to Christ and eat the bread that comes down from heaven and live by faith in the Son of God. It's interesting that Jesus says, the manna never gave anyone eternal life, but Jesus gives eternal life to your soul. And as you feed on him, like the salmon, you become like him. Verse 60 to 71. How did the crowds respond? Verse 60 questioning. Can we accept it? Is Jesus really the bread of life? In verse 61, grumbling. And in verse 66, many turn back. Verse 62, Jesus pleads with them. If you see me ascending back to where I came from to heaven, would that convince you of my heavenly origin? Ascending up where he was before would happen via the cross and resurrection And Jesus' conversation, you see, at this moment, is drawing closer to the cross, becoming the subject of his conversation. Verse 63 to 65 begins with, The Spirit gives life. And it ends with, No one comes to Christ unless the Father enables him or draws him. That wonderful work of God in the soul. The Holy Spirit giving life to the believer at new birth, that moment when you and I trusted Jesus, we were born again, and Christ lives within us ever since. That's so precious. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were all working together for your salvation and the satisfaction of your soul. An elderly lady lived in a tiny apartment 
And her comment was, it's big enough. There's only Jesus and me. Another in an old garret in London said, I have Christ. What want I more? That's it. Jesus shares his life with us and he shares his Father's life. Yeah, we were thinking earlier. The one who designed the universe and each microscopic cell in your body is your Savior. And he calls out to you, come unto me. He's the new and living way from this world to better things, to resurrection, to his Father's house and to eternity. His words are spirit and are life. Verse 64, some of you do not believe. They had concluded, we don't believe you came from heaven. We don't believe you are the answer. We don't believe in following you wholeheartedly. Really? Really? Jesus was standing in front of them and after all he said, they were going to turn away. Let's ask the question. Are you willing to exchange glory for damnation? To choose Satan rather than Jesus? To lose heaven for hell? Look, hell is not where Christ is forgotten. Hell is where he is unavailable. Where it's too late to seek him. I'm going to pick up more on 64 and 65 in a minute. But in 66, we're told that many turn back and no longer follow. They've only been attracted by miracles and food. But Jesus demands more. You must receive him into your life and follow him. You, you can't just hang around Jesus. You must accept that eternal life is found in him alone. But for these people, the soil in their hearts was hard and stony. To turn away from Jesus is like rejecting the crystal flowing waters of a mountain stream to drink the stagnant waters of a polluted, dirty ditch. Christ gives you pure refreshment. Jesus had asked them in verse 62 to think again. What if I go up to heaven and you see me going there? But now he doesn't plead with them. He doesn't change his message. He doesn't ask them to come back. For Jesus' popularity was not relevant. It was their level of commitment that mattered. And after all that has happened, before their very eyes, Many from the crowds of Galilee who had made him king earlier now turn away. Many from the thousands who ate the loaves and fishes turn away. Many of the so-called disciples who were following him now leave him. And it's a foreshadowing of the crowds who would cry Hosanna as he entered Jerusalem about a year later only to forsake him at the cross. And now we see there is an increasing crescendo of opposition. Verse 52, disputing and arguing. Verse 60, questioning who can accept his teaching. Verse 64, some did not believe. 
Verse 66, many turn away. And in verse 70, there is a devil in the midst. Listen to Jesus' heart as he asks his 12 disciples, will you also go away? Do you want to leave? Leave too? The reply comes, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus had said, the words I have spoken are spirit and are life. Verse 68, Peter said, you have words of eternal life. Our souls find rest in the words of Jesus. They illuminate our path in the darkest night. His voice speaks to us through the years, sometimes challenging and clear, at other times comforting, spanning the ages from eternity to eternity. Words of grace, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Words of assurance, it is I, be not afraid. Words that, like music, reach and restore our souls. Words of relevance, parables that touch human experience. Words of life that raise Lazarus from the dead, awaken us sleeping mortals to the realities of life and death and eternity. So we ought to feed our souls on the words of Jesus, for they are words of spirit and life. Just look at Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? That is faithfulness. You have the words of eternal life. That is revelation. We believe that is faith from new birth. And have come to know that is continuing unshakable trust. That you are the Holy One of God. That is worship. What a wonderful statement that is from one who came to know Christ. Repeat it in your heart today. Others had proclaimed wonderful descriptions about Jesus. They'd said, Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one whom Moses and the prophets spoke about, the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior of the world, and now Peter, the Holy One of God. But will all twelve follow Jesus? In a sense, in verse 70, Jesus says to Peter, that is true of 11 of you, what you said. But one of you is a devil, a betrayer. Imagine the shock when Jesus revealed that to them. It wounded the heart of Christ that this was happening. Psalm 41, even my close friend who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Zechariah 13, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. The twelve were chosen, yet they were different. Even today, God knows differences between us, so let us examine the integrity of our hearts, for God knows. Times ahead may be challenging. True Christian, come closer to Christ and stand fast? Or, are you pretending to be a follower of Jesus? Pretending to be a believer? 
Familiarity with Jesus is not the same as being saved. Not the same as believing. This is about commitment to Jesus. Not just outward pretense. Pretend no more. Turn to Christ now while there is time. Be real about your faith in him. And don't sacrifice your soul on the altar of passing vanities. Christ is for eternity. Value him, because to whom else will you go? I want to say something about the sovereignty of God before I close. God is sovereign over our salvation. He's sovereign over opposition. He's sovereign over defection. He is in control, and he determines all that happens. Not you and I, not others, not Satan. In our salvation, it is all of God and all of grace. I want you to note the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 44 and 65 clearly say, or Jesus clearly says, No one comes to me, that is Jesus the Son, unless the Father draw him. And in verse 63, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in your salvation, and that is the sovereignty of God that you are saved. Then in verse 70, Jesus asked Peter, have I not chosen you? I chose you, I chose the twelve. I chose Judas. I put him there according to the predetermined sovereign purposes of God. This is not a mistake. I am in control doing the will of my Father in heaven. Now just note this. The choosing here by Jesus is choosing them to be apostles. But the choosing in the upper room after Judas had left in chapter 15 is different. That is you chosen to be saved and to serve Christ. It's a different choosing. You see, this is the crux of it. The sovereignty of God. Judas was never drawn to Christ by the Father. Note verse 65, Jesus had said, No one can come unless enabled or drawn by my Father. And verse 64, Jesus said, He knew from the beginning who would betray him. Judas was chosen as one of the twelve by Jesus to fulfill his part in the betrayal as determined by God. And remember, God is sovereign. And remember that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I am in charge, following the will and the timing of my Father. My cross will not be at this Passover. It will not be at the upcoming Feast of Tabernacles, but it will be at the following Passover. His hour will come. The hour of the cross. He who gives his life on the cross. Let me tell you, he reigned from the cross because he did the will 
of his Father. God is sovereign and everything is in his hands. And your salvation is eternally secure in his hands. Peter spoke wonderful words that day. He stood by Christ, yet one day he denied Christ. But failure is not fatal, as Churchill once said. For the Lord restored Peter to use him mightily in the saving of souls. Christian brothers and sisters, if you've smothered faith in Christ, rekindle it today. For he who saved you will hold you, but do not grieve his heart in your life. The Chinese doctor who first identified and warned his country about the coronavirus was a brother in Christ. We might say he served people and he served his God. He's now at home with Christ, which is much better. We must all finish well. We are saved by grace through faith. It is God's work alone. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, have life in his name. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that our salvation was accomplished by Christ, your Son. Our salvation is secure in his hands and is secure in your hand. We thank you that you are sovereign over all. And that in this life down here, as having believed in Christ, he lives within us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us and helps us to lead lives that are pleasing to thee. We just pray that each of us may be challenged today to step forward with fresh, renewed faith in Christ, with an upward look towards eternity itself and the wonder of what our salvation has accomplished. So we seek your blessing upon us as we separate. And to you we commit all who suffer this day, that you would draw near to them as you have drawn near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.